Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and get started now. Welcome back to Sensibly Loud Radio. This is Brandon, and I am joined by Mountain Carl. Carl, how's it going? It's going real well. Um, I uh, I just enjoyed a uh, a little bit of a tour over at Three Nations Brewery in Carrollton, Texas. Yeah, yeah. I I will tell you as as someone who appreciates a clean and functional industrial environment, that place is well thought out. I uh, definitely took a little while to, to really take in the entire environment. Um, my God, I hope that they sell as much beer as they think they're going to sell because that is one piece of real estate they've got. Like they need to keep that thing running 24 um, seven. But it's beautiful. It's I mean, it's a warehouse, obviously. It's not like, wow, this is uh, you know the Taj Mahal or anything. But <laughs> You know, when you walk in, you have like this cool area where uh, it's like a banquet thing to your right. And then like you can go upstairs and then you've kind of got like this rooftop patio action going on, except for you're still within this giant, you know, like three story warehouse. Uh, you're looking down at like the common area. There's some areas where pets are allowed, some area where they're not. Uh, and then you've got a little kind of game room ish pub feel to it when you, yeah. when you go in there and it's. It's really cool. Uh, their beer is not bad. I have I had their Oktoberfest um, while Mountain Dog was down, and uh, it was actually pretty decent. And a lot of their stuff they've got there is uh, they're playing to their strengths right now. I think they've got kind of the dark milk stout thing, and then they've got the kind of fruitier beer, wheat beer kind of thing, and they're doing um, they're doing it all well. Right. And I think that they, they actually give a damn, which is nice. So uh, they also have an outdoor area. I should, I should mention that even though it's cold as balls right now. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's actually a really, really cool little, little area. And it's already functionally set up to do, uh, you know, selling of, of merchandise and, and, you know, canned products and, and beer and everything it's it's already it's already ready to go so i would i would actually say anybody who's in the the north texas area that wants a good brewery to go to to go check it out if for nothing else than simply the the ambiance you know it's it's pretty it's pretty cool um but anyway i would suggest that uh i heard uh i heard your eyes were broken what happened <laughs> yeah so I, uh, and, and yeah, too, I, I definitely need to go check that place out. They formerly were based in Farmer's Branch and then moved That's to right. downtown Carrollton, um, a few months ago. 
and you can actually see for local residents listening to this show, uh, if you're anywhere in North Dallas near Carrollton, you're on I-35, look out to the east and you will see, you know, if you're looking at downtown Carrollton as you pass it by, you'll see where it says Three Nations Brewery or, or Brewing uh, on the roof of the facility they're at. But yeah, yeah definitely what other advertising you, do you need, right? Right, yeah. But <laughs> that's pretty smart advertising, though, if you can't get a sign. So why not just put it on the roof? But, it's even uh, smarter when you're off of I-35. Nobody moves on that highway anyway, so you'd be staring at it for at least 40 minutes. Yeah, God. I-35 is like the new 635. Like, And I'm not saying like the new 635 is actually better than I-35. Like it's it's so much better. It used to be yeah, 635. and all that. Yeah, 635 was a pit back in the day. It's like that's yeah. the the road that you want to avoid, and now it's just 35 just is horrible. So uh, I don't know if that's ever going to change. But, yeah, so, yeah, uh, switching gears back into <laughs> what you asked. So, yeah, I started a PTO, and I don't go back to work till Monday, December 2nd. I'm really excited about that. Rough life. Yeah, so uh, PTO started Thursday of last week, and – what do you know? I, I get home from work. I pick up some beer and I'm like, you know, I'm going to play some Red Dead Redemption 2. I'm going to have some fun. Played for probably longer than I should have. And then when I'm uh, shutting down, I'm feeling my eye very fatigued. And I'm like, yeah, I probably should have taken out my contacts, put on my glasses. That's got like the, you know, the lenses that blocks out the blue light and stuff and just wasn't thinking about it. And so, you know, my I felt like a, a bit irritated and I'm like, well, it's fine. I just probably need some rest. So I go to sleep, wake up the next morning and my eye, it's very hard to open. And then when I open my eye and I go in the restroom and turn on the light, all of a sudden it's got light sensitivity and, uh, you know, my uh, pupils, you know, dilating to adjust to the light like was so painful and I looked in the mirror and my eye was so red it was like it it was about as red as a crab like the entire eyeball around my iris and everything was just really red and I'm like shit I I don't know what's going on here so you know I know it was irritated but I'm like all right well I'm gonna go out and you know get some eye drops so I I went and and got some eye drops from uh, you know Walgreens or whatever and got some clear eyes max red or whatever Right. And so I put those in and, you know, it, I had some cooling relief at first, but then it was like a few hours later, no improvement, put some more, a few hours later, no improvement, put some more, you know, and eventually I started noticing there's no change at all. And I'm like, shit, this, this is You're starting. Yeah. I'm starting to think this might be an infection. So, yep. you know, Thursday turns into Friday. I just been taking it easy all day. Just been wearing my glasses. And so Friday I get up and it's still pretty red. Um, I couldn't tell if it was as red or, or worse or less than I, you know, I, I couldn't really tell the difference. So, you know, I, I went out and bought some artificial tears, um, because I started reading online that you actually should not be using clear eyes because the uh, formula that, that's in it is how it gets rid of redness. is It actually like shrinks the size of the veins in your eye. So wow. that's how it gets rid of some of it. Now, that's maybe not all of the brands that are out there, but that's what it said online. And, of course, you know, I'm going to trust Reddit over 
<laughs> or whatever else, you know. So Doctor uh, Reddit. Doctor yeah. Reddit. Yeah, I guess it's better than Doctor WebMD. You know, WebMD would be like, "Oh, you got ass cancer." You know. <laughs> 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 oh, that's why my eyes are red. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, how, how have my eyes not fallen out yet? This is outrageous. Yeah. Right. Right. So, um, so I I decide. Okay, I'm gonna call my eye doctor. And see if I can, if they can, you know, of course it's a Friday, they're going to be booked as hell, but I'm going to explain sure. what's going on. Maybe I can get in and see them because I need a professional opinion in terms of what's going on in my eye. Because if it is sure. pink eye, I got to do things differently and I got to oh, avoid yeah. people, all that stuff. So uh, I call up, they're booked and they refer me to, I think it was like the optometrists of Texas or something like that. And they're all the way out in South Lake. And oh, wow. You know, which isn't bad. You just jump on 121, and and thankfully, when I called, it was around noon. So like, okay, uh, if you can make it here in the next 30 minutes, we'll be able to fit you in. I mean, we're That's booked doable. too, but I'm like, sure, yeah. So driving from Carrollton, it was about you know 20 25 minute drive, so I get there right on time. And so this is where I was really reluctant about going in because I'm like. I'm, I'm really going to be mad if I go in and they tell me, oh, no, you don't have pink eye. Uh, all you got to do is take artificial tears and do everything that you're already doing, you know. Right. But at the same time, it's better to be safe than sorry. Sure. So I I get there and, of course, I have to fill out 50 forms because I've never yeah. been to this location before. Right. Um, and after I fill it out, you know, and answer all the questions like, do you currently smoke? No. And all the, all the other stuff that they need to Does know. Does your eye currently smoke? No. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Does it feel like it's smoking? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so I gave them the paperwork and then they finally see me. And so I, I get in there and what do they start to do? They ask me, you know, to keep my glasses on and then cover one eye and try and see what I can read. So basically they're giving me an eye exam and I'm sure. like, all right, whatever, you know, going through it. And, then they do it without, without my glasses on. And then they go, okay, well, uh, you know, and I tell them about what's going on with my eye and they go, well, uh, we need to dilate your eyes now. And I'm like, why do you need to dilate my eyes? Is that really necessary? Like I just did an eye exam at my eye doctor a month ago, um, in order to get new contacts, my prescription hasn't changed. And I always do the Optimap which is where it's, it's this laser scan of your eye and you can see right. the full thing in three-dimensional you know, view of your retina and stuff yeah. because I hate getting my eyes dilated. I haven't done that since I was young, you know? Right. So they're like, yes, it's completely necessary. And I'm like, there's not a way I can do an Optimap. They're like, no, for the doctor to be completely sure you don't have an infection, he really needs to see inside and stuff. And I'm like, all right. Like, you know, because I didn't plan on this. And here I sure. am all the way out in South Lake. You gotta drive back. Right. How am I gonna drive when my eyes dilated like that? And it's still daylight outside. So I'm like, all right, let's just do it and I'll figure out, you know, exit strategy later. And so we do that. I sit in a dark room and then they finally call me in there and then I wait some more. You know, it's like two hours already. And guy comes in and, and starts looking and stuff and is making, you know, notes and and telling his assistant you know whispering to his assistant and i'm like you know i'm right here you don't have to like whisper and uh so eventually he's like okay well good news is you don't have pink eye it's not infected but you know i've looked you didn't scratch anything um but maybe whenever you were taking your contact out or maybe they were in too long it the eye definitely got irritated um so yeah all you got to do is just uh cold compresses and artificial tears and i'm like motherfucker 
I'm like, well, it, whatever. And so then I get to pay, and I guess I'm old school because I remember back in the day of doing $20, $25 copay. I had to pay a $50 copay for all this bullshit. So I'm like, yeah. I'm like, that's great. Um, thankfully, it was payday, so I didn't really care too much. But at the same time, it was just, you know. It's like, annoying, yeah. It's annoying because it's like, just to get something checked out, you gotta you gotta pay them money, and then the insurance company's paying them a shitload of money on whatever you just did, you know. Sure. And I don't know. I I that's a whole other <laughs> subject. So that's, no, we're not gonna crack that nut. Today. Yeah. So uh, so anyways, I'm you know I, I'm I'm kind of irritated the the whole process that I do. I mean, I was more irritated getting my eyes dilated than anything else. And mm-hmm. so I walk out of there and of course, you know, I walk in the park lot and everything is just blurry, even with my glasses on, because I mean, just looking at everything, it was just way too blurry. So I sit in my car and, you know, I, I call my mom, tell her what's going on. And, and my dad's listening in, he happened to be off work. And of course he's laughing and, and, uh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I have no, there's no way I'm going to be able to get on 121 and drive home. So I'm like, you know, they're like, well, we can come and get you. I'm like, no, 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 I'll just kill some time around here. I'm, I'm pretty close to downtown South Lake. So I was able to like drive down a little bit and I'm like, you know what, I'll, I'll find somewhere I can go and, and just get a drink and, you know, a large glass of water and just kind of sip on a beer or something and, and, sure. you know, surf on my phone. And so that's what I did. I found a, a ginger man that was over there, uh, and had, you know, I think I, I forget what I tried, but I tried a, a couple drinks and, so I'm just really like nursing them. Just my, I'm, okay. I'm just trying You're killing to killing time. Yeah. yeah. So I, I killed time and two or three hours go by. And then I, I check, you know, in the bathroom and I still look like I'm high on drugs. Like <laughs> <laughs> my pupils are still so large and I'm like, great. So I'm like, well, I'm hungry. I'm not going to get bar food here. So I went to like a restaurant, you know, a little ways down the road. And then finally it was like better, but, you know, so I was able to make it back eventually, but man, it was a, that was an ordeal. So since then, yeah, I've been using artificial tears and my, my eyes definitely better. I think I'm, I'm about 95% back to normal now. Yeah, so, looking better. Yeah. I think, uh, I'll probably wear my contacts later tonight when I, I go check out a film, but, um, yeah, that's been my, uh, my fun time off. That's how it all started. <laughs> yeah, so it's, you got on the phone and you're just like, Hey, do you mind if we, uh, we dilate your your eyes you go oh no problem i'll make a day of it yeah yeah, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll go to the bar i'll go get some food i mean thankfully fine. i'm on pto that would have been shitty had i like gone and i i was still having to work but it was an emergency and it's like well yeah okay, I, I guess i'm stuck yeah i uh when i was in in college i you, know, you go to the computer labs and stuff like that and then you're, you're typing away on computers that everybody and their mom uses right and then you and then you you know, fuck up with Mathematica or something like that. And you scratch your eye because you're like, I, I want to die right now. It's four in the morning. <laughs> and, uh, and then you have, uh, you wake up in the morning and then, uh, you know, your eyes like goop shut and oh. you're like, Oh no, like what have I done? And, and the problem is obviously, uh, some asshole with pink eye, uh, did the inverse of what I had done before I got to the computer lab. And that's oh, how, I, how I got it. So, that's happened before, um, you know, the pink eye thing and everything. And I was like, this is gross. Um, yeah. But the, the the crazy thing was there was another time, uh, computer lab related, where I, I woke up the next day and I was like, I cannot see properly out of my right eye. 
I, in this point, I'm kind of like, it, it's, it's just one of those things where an eye exam would have told me like, how did I drop, you know, a few prescriptions in one day kind of thing. So it was a little, it was a little goofy to begin with. I looked in the mirror. Yeah. I got the red eye and everything. I'm thinking like, I've got pink eye. It's no big deal. Just go back to the doctor. I go to the doctor and uh, he looks in my eye and he goes, Oh, I go, what the fuck do you mean? Oh, goes it looks like you've got spots on your cornea i'm just like right there like tell me more about that yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what does that mean right um he uh he goes what well, looks like you got a pretty bad bacterial infection in your eye and uh and we're gonna need to get you some pretty some pretty serious like antibiotic ointment and i say ointment you know like you know that not like drops but actual ointment yeah so, yeah yeah you need to have ointment and you need to put it on your eye like twice a day and i was seeing this like like neosporin or something like see <laughs> you know, like are you kidding me right now yeah and they give me they give me this tube of of cream you know be like they want me to put like preparation h in my eye or something and i'm just <laughs> like what what is this and like and i remember going home yeah if you think that putting eye drops in your eye are bad you have contacts you understand that like you can jump in and out of contacts real fast you don't really give a crap about touching your eye or anything. yeah so, i've gotten used to, it, it used to not be the case though yeah but it, it makes you get into that rhythm where you really don't care anymore right. and uh and i will tell you that if you if you're one of those people that's squeamish and, and closes their eye when uh when eye drops are coming at you <laughs> imagine when you're trying to like squeeze out toothpaste into your eye like it's the weirdest experience ever because then you have to close it and you're like basically like rubbing around yeah. ointment on the inside it was it was probably one of the grossest so like, cures for anything when you put it on do you do you put it like right next to where your, your your iris and stuff is or do you put it like in the corner of your eye and then just kind of like work your eye around the way they described it to me, I think, I mean, it's been a long time, but I think that it was like you actually just squeeze it and like it drops onto your eye. And oh, I was man. like, that's, that's disgusting. That's gross. But yeah, it was, uh, it was rubbing, rubbing paste around on my eye. Anyway, it's disgusting. The point is, is that I've been there, done that, and I hate it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I shit's the worst. So, um, anyway. What else is going on <laughs> besides besides I things, Brandon? I don't want to talk about. <laughs> it's a great transition, yeah. Uh, well, you know, so I, I talked a little bit last show about how I ordered a, a Intel i seven processor, and so I got that swapped out and had a hell of a time, of course, last Sunday. That's why the upload of the episode wasn't till Monday morning. So apologize to our listeners. Had a little bit of technical issues there. But uh, yeah, what, what should have been a 40-minute process of swapping out my uh, liquid cooler for a new one and then putting my new processor in turned into like a four-hour ordeal because I just, nothing's ever easy, right? So it's, it, I got everything set up and then I, I booted up the PC. I had no display on my monitor. I had um, the keyboard and mouse were not lit up. None of the peripherals were working, but the the computer itself, like my graphics card, everything was lit up. So it looked like it was starting like normal, but nothing was outputting to anything. So that turned into a whole <laughs> ordeal of, of trying to figure out what was going on, trying to put the i5 back in that wasn't working. So long story short, it came down to 
um, you know, I need to clear the CMOS. You need to do this anytime you're making like a major thing to your computer in order for your BIOS to come up. And it's basically like resetting your BIOS on the computer. The BIOS is basically when you boot up your computer for the first time and you see that logo that comes up that's either your, your motherboard or what the manufacturer of the computer is, uh, you can get to your BIOS there by holding down or, or hitting delete or F2. Um, and so you get into your menu, that's how you get everything, kind of the utilization of everything, right? So, uh, you know, I, I couldn't get it going. I tried to clear it, you know, with the, the CMOS reset where I had to hold the freaking uh, screwdriver on there on the prongs for a few seconds to clear it. And that's still, your computer. Yeah, yeah, still didn't do it. So I'm like, all right, what can it be? And on motherboards, there is a CMOS battery, which is basically the equivalent of, you know, people out there, uh, if you have a car that is keyless and it's got a fob, um, as you know, if any time that that thing has died or you got low on battery, you need to replace it. It's the same battery. It's the uh, 2032 uh, battery. It's like your yeah, coin, it's battery. coin battery. Yeah. yeah. So I, you know, I was getting frustrated. It's been hours and I, I still couldn't get the PC to come back up. So I stepped out to go get some food and I'm like, huh, maybe it's the battery. Like I've had the computer for about three years, but I, I wouldn't think it would be, but I'm like, last ditch effort, might as well buy some. They're only like eight bucks. So uh, I, just, I was like, ah, eh, just for the hell of it, I might as well try it. And so I got back home, put that in, and what do you know? Powered up just fine. So, Which I've never heard of this actually being an issue yeah. in in my my short-term like researching all of this stuff and everything that the CMOS battery is dead. Yeah, it can happen though, but it's 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 a very rare occurrence. You know, usually it's like you have something that's your your components aren't incorrectly the the CPU isn't seated all the way. You know, something it's usually that sort of thing. But uh, I went through everything and everything very thoroughly, and uh, yeah, so. Of course, you know, the I I have some sort of oddity that occurs like that, but uh but thankfully everything's up and running now. The i7's working fantastic. Um and I was able to get that episode posted. So I'll definitely have an episode posted today on time, uh, unlike last week. <laughs> How dare you? Yeah. Also the uh immediately so you if you if you called Intel with this problem and yep. you tried to walk them through all this, what do you, what do you think they would have told you? Oh, they would have told me the exact same thing. I was reading everywhere else, like, oh well, you know, it sounds like you don't have the processor seated correctly in the in the you know the 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 tray, the slot where you you drop the processor in. Check that. Check everything else, you know, and um, and then they probably would have said something stupid like, you know, you must have done a static electric charge to your motherboard, and that's probably you probably fried it, and you know they'd probably yeah, say something like that. If you have. Uh... If you call Intel for direct service, I imagine that that's going to be more helpful than like a calling Microsoft for for help, that <laughs> kind of thing. I, yeah, and I use I use Microsoft products a lot. Don't get me wrong, but I, I there was certainly one time where I was trying to get a router working, and uh, and there's some driver issue, like it didn't it didn't like it, and I was trying to do all kinds of stuff and doing research online, and I just I stupid me, I I just called Microsoft. I was like, what, what is this going to be like if I call Microsoft and I ask them about a driver issue that is supposed to be, you know, working with their operating system. And I get on the phone with this guy and he's, we're like down in the nitty gritty, right? Like I want to talk to him about 
like very specific compatibility and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he's like in a way top down thing where he's like, Hey man, just turn it off and, and turn it back on. And yeah. I'm just kind of like, okay. All right. So I like, I went through all these steps and I told him like, listen, man, this is not the problem. And he goes, and this has been 30 minutes of just like, you know, basically placating this, this guy on the other side of the phone. Like, yeah, I'll do that. Sure. Why not? And then he goes, Oh, you're, you're going to have to call the router manufacturer. And I was like, Oh my God. Okay. You know what? Fine. I'll do it. Just why the hell not call the router manufacturer. They run me through the exact same list of dumb shit that Microsoft asked me to do. And then at the end of that, they said, Oh, you're going to have to call Microsoft. And I was just like, you know what, man, this is outrageous. (laughs) Like this is the most, (laughs) this is the most circular thing i could ever have hoped for like yeah yeah. they just want to slough off all of the the work onto the other company they can't handle it they don't know what to do luckily i was able to figure it out because i was able to figure it out but the if you ever want any kind of actual actionable in you know things that you can do with your computer to fix them nine times out of ten the internet has the answer yeah so but you have to be, you have to speak computer. Though. I mean, you have to understand what you're messing with and everything. That's the hardest part for people who don't. So if you, uh, I, I don't know, have you ever used a geek squad or anything like that? I mean, is that, uh, the, the only time I've had geek squad investigate anything was actually a product I bought from Best Buy. This was back in 2010, I think. And it was the, yeah. it was the, like the first time I got away from a CRT monitor and got myself like uh you know an, an lcd monitor and uh i think it was like an lg or, or no i started off with the samsung i wanted to go lg and and of course the guy at best buy was like oh you get samsung it's better you know and and right. i was like eh, you know it does the design appeals to me more so i i got it and i set up the the monitor and as soon as i booted up i noticed that there were dead pixels on screen <laughs> great so i take it back and I'm like, yeah, it's got dead pixels. And, you know, there's maybe like two or three. And they're like, okay. And at first they're like, oh, we don't see them. And I'm like, you got you got the monitor? I'll point it out to you. Oh, okay. And so they, uh, they're like, okay, we'll, we'll let you swap it out for, the, for another one. So I did the same thing. Same result. More dead pixels. What? And I'm like, all right, I'm not satisfied with Samsung. I'm just going to swap it out and go for that LG I wanted. Get the LG, no dead pixels. And I was, I was happy. I think I still have that monitor, actually. So the uh, the geeks the geek squad pointed you to <laughs> buy the monitor that you wanted to originally. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, they were they were kind of worthless. But again, that was just for the one time I bought a product. I've never gone. I've always been one to kind of when it comes to technology, I just figure it out. You know. Yeah. Well, we uh, we have one more thing we need to address, and that is the fact that it's almost your birthday. That's right. That's coming up uh, Tuesday, November twenty sixth. Which, uh, yeah, <laughs> let's just say in the past it, it was always a big deal. Um, and I, you know, I think everybody always enjoys their birthdays for the most part. Uh, but it, I, I used to always make a big event out of it and would go to like Flying Saucer or somewhere like that, like a big sure. bar, rent out a room, have a bunch of friends come, and and it was always a great time. Nowadays, it's it's difficult to do, um, mostly because people have busier schedules. 
Um, and then on, at the same time, the majority of my friends are either married or and or have kids. Uh, and then I have several that used to always uh, come and they would they've pretty much moved away. So uh, right. so it's and, and two, it's kind of like once you hit 30, like that was probably like my my last big turnout for my birthday or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's a big deal when you hit 30. And after that, no one cares. <laughs> you know, it's like. Even you, it's just like nowadays I'm kind of like, okay, cool. I'm, I'm about to be 34, whatever. It's just another year of existence. You know, it's, it's not that big of a deal, but you know, it does give me an excuse. The one thing that I always liked when I was a kid was that my birthday always fell on the week of Thanksgiving. And usually my family and I would always be out of town visiting grandparents. And so I would get a ton of presents. And then yep. the next thing I know, a month later, it was Christmas and I'd get even more presents. So it was, it was always a great time where I wasn't in school and I would just be able to have fun with friends and stuff. And uh, so many great memories of getting an N64 with Goldeneye and all that fun oh, stuff, yeah. you know. So good times. But uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. Um, I, I know of a few people, including J-Mac, that said that they'll absolutely be there, whatever I decide to do. Uh, so I don't know, maybe, maybe I should do it in Addison. Like I usually do. Cause it's kind of a nice central spot for everybody. Uh, but, uh, I don't know. Maybe I should walk, walk to your birthday. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just don't drink a, a bunch of coffee beforehand. No, no, I won't. That will, uh, <laughs> that will they'll probably lay me up for a full day. Yeah. Um, so we should, uh, we should mention, I think we've been on the topic of computers um, I'm going. I'm going to advance this real quick. I'm going to tell people that big news came out this week, and I think we all are in disbelief. Nobody actually believes it was ever going to happen, mm-hmm. and uh, and that is the fact that Valve decided that they are going to release a new Half-Life game. Yeah, uh, that is. I, I would expected this on like April 1st, right? Like I wouldn't expect that right now. When's the last, when's the last time Half-Life came out? Not Portal, but like actual Half-Life, Half-Life 2. 2. Uh, let me, I'm even going to look it up. I'm going to, I'm going to say it's at least 10 years. No, nah, it's more than that. I, I think it was around 2005, 2004. 2004. That's right. Okay. And then I don't know when the like Half Life Two Episode Two came out or whatever. And oh for right. People who don't know why this is a big deal. Uh, back in the day when things like you know Doom and Unreal Tournament and that kind of thing were were kind of big big deals, right? Um, and we're talking like first person shooter video games, you know, stuff that's dominated by like Call of Duty and stuff now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of attention paid to video game stories and especially not how those video game stories were told Mm -hmm. and valve came in and created this game called half-life and half-life was uh visually impressive Mm -hmm. at the time and it had a like a silent protagonist that would navigate some really well laid out levels and they would use in-game stuff to tell a story right like different people you interacted with uh different events that unfolded it was a a narratively complex game for the time 
So anyway, this got a bunch of people hooked on this series early on. And again, we're talking pre, I mean, I think the first one came out in like 1998 or something, but yeah. Um, the, uh, everybody was really into this thing it spawned a lot of a lot of uh expansions and sequels and, and all this kinds of stuff right have you ever heard of counter-strike it was based on the same engine that yep. this game was made up so fast forward to 2004 they make a sequel right and it's already been a long enough time since the first one came out right so they have half-life 2 and half-life 2 did the you know did to video games at that time that half-life the original did the video games. Oh, yeah. Really like had a superior narrative and and the way they worked sound in the game and the and physics the graphics, of the game. The physics of the game. Everything was very fresh and very new. Um after that, they released a couple follow-on uh what they called episodes, right? Because they mm-hmm. were they were investing in that. And everybody was they were they had not had enough of Half-Life. Uh and that was evident by rampant rumors of Half-Life 3 coming any day, right? right. Or what ended up being at least 15 years. <laughs> so everybody kind of thought that Half-Life 3 was a running joke. Nobody actually thought that was ever going to happen. And just this week, people started saying, hey, there's this new Half-Life game that people are talking about being announced. And uh, in not within less than three days later, they had a trailer for this game called Half-Life Alex. And Alex is one of the, one of the protagonists in the game, right? So the idea being that this was going to be uh, a killer app for virtual reality, a virtual reality game. And of course, you know, all the people and I always thought this was going to be the case that if they were going to release another another Half-Life game like within that same universe that they were going to bring it into virtual reality because all the kids who were playing Half-Life, you know, 15 years ago have grown up and have disposable incomes now. So, if you've got a uh, if you've got this this killer app for this extremely expensive technology, right? You're going to go ahead and try to change the way people play video games again mm-hmm. on a, in a new way. And I think it, I always thought that was going to be the case. It's nice to have that kind of, uh, you know, affirmation that like, hey, you know, that's that's what they're going to do. And the trailer looks insane. Um, you know, like the ability to manipulate the world and everything like that. It's pretty much on par with with what the other games have done for us in the past. But I will say, Half-Life coming out with their quote-unquote sequel and making it a prequel set in like the Half-Life 2 time frame is kind of a solid F you. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, so I mean, what I mean by that is like if, if, you've, if you've actually been invested in this uh, mentally, even if you've given it, you know, one thirty second or sixty fourth of your brain power over the past fifteen years to be like, man, what would a half life three look like? And then this thing that they're talking about hits, and you're like, oh my god, it's finally here. Yeah, you know, like they they did it. They made a new half life game, and everybody is waiting to wrap up this narrative that's been over fifteen years in the making. Mm-hmm. 
right, with various games they've released, like Portal and stuff like that. And they give you a prequel that is just to flesh out an existing storyline that's already been told. Like, they better... And they're talking about making sequels to this game, right? Like, in in the virtual reality realm of things. Like, they're talking about making, like, a Half-Life Alex episode two or whatever. And I'm kind of like... Yeah, I've never been so happy that a sequel is being made and so pissed off at the same time. Like, narr- narrative-wise, like, what what if the movie that you loved more than anything was left on the cliffhanger, right? Yeah, and, right. And you've wanted to wrap that up so bad. And then after 15 years, somebody comes out with another movie and that movie just tells you the like a prequel, like how they got to that that point, right? Mm-hmm. So that got greenlit, but you never know any closure at all, yeah, for the rest of your life. There are people that pr- like very likely p- played Half Life Two and loved it and passed away by this point. Yeah, that's true. So I don't know. It seems like they're definitely giving us like both middle fingers on this. I mean, I'm, I'm happy that it exists. Right. And I'm glad that they're, they're like really pressing the technology and everything, but it just seems like, you know, Oh, Hey, you guys wanted uh, to wrap this story up. We got a lot more story to tell. And I'm just kind of like, dude, it's been 15 years. Like, you, you, it, like, why could not, why could this not have been a priority? Yeah. Earlier, but but they they came out with things like Steam and and Dota and all that stuff. So anyway, the point is that this is a big deal for any nerds and gamers that are out there that actually have devoted any of their time to Half Life in the past you know twenty years or so. So if you have a disposable income and you don't mind buying a rig that can run virtual reality, and then investing in all the peripherals, and then buying a Half Life Alex copy for yourself more power to you but uh i do you think that this is like past a lot of people by at this point well you know to to make a comparison to film the only thing i can think of film wise that would line up with this because it's both sci-fi is blade runner right so right blade runner 2049 when that came out and it, it had already been like 30 plus years you know um it's one of those ordeals where it was just kind of like, do people even care? You know? And of course, when the trailer hit, everybody started losing their minds. And then when the movie came out, I think a lot of people lost their minds. And, um, you know, I, I know people who are bigger fans of that movie than they are of the original Blade Runner. And I can kind of side with them on certain things because the story was more enriched. Whereas the first, that was the one thing about the original Blade Runner is that the story, you know, was kind of rigid like it could have been better and and all that um yeah they they leaned pretty heavy on the the noir side of things yeah Yeah, the Philip k dick uh you know sci-fi and noir and that kind of stuff so that's the only you know uh comparison i can think of but it worked for them so why not for you know who who better to revitalize that and continue progressing the narrative forward to have enough attention other than valve you know I, yeah, you know, I can't think of too many other companies that could get away with that, right? So at, at, at this point, I mean, like they they've got enough money 
right? Where they're kind of like swimming in like Scrooge McDuck. Oh, for, yeah, of course. Right. So uh, they can afford to have, you know, little love letters to games that probably won't make a crap ton of money. Yeah. And will and will push, you know, technology forward and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There, but there is that level where I'm kind of like, really, like, I mean, they came out with Steam a gazillion years ago. People yeah. throw throw money at them like just to buy games from other people. Yep. So anyway, it's, I'm in, I mean, like I'm, I'm very excited about it, it, but I'm also very pissed off that they, they are kind of spinning their wheels narratively. Like they're not going to finish this up. Right. Well, so my takeaway from the trailer uh, was that, you know, looks great. You know, the aliens from half-life two are back, you know, um, even the the old creepy guy that talks to you and stuff, you know, at the That's end right. of the trailer. So all that was definitely hit me in the nostalgia feels uh, quite a bit. And I used to spend a lot of time on on the Half-Life games, especially Half-Life 2. Uh, me and my friends would always play Half-Life 2 Deathmatch. The, the you know, the anti-gravity gun, all that stuff was was just awesome. The physics of the game, you know, like it's it, it was a nerd's dream to, to play that, you know, next to Portal, right. of course, but, you know, it's a, it's a nerd's dream to, to go through that. So, you know, flash forward to now, the, the disappointment that I have is that it's on VR, you know, like, yeah, I have a rig powerful enough, no problem to handle VR, but I don't want to spend the money to get an Oculus, you know, like, right. I, I just don't, I, I don't, I, I have... You know, I know someone who has an Oculus headset and I've tried it out and yeah, it is, it, it's a lot better than what, you know, they used to be, but at the same time, it's, it's not for everybody. And, and I don't want to spend the whole time wearing something on my face <laughs> to experience yeah. a game like this. That doesn't mean that I'll at least not check it out, um, on Oculus, so I'm using my friends or something like that. But this is, this is kind of my takeaway from it. I kind of feel like there's no way that you're going to bet everything on a new chapter pushing the narrative forward and this being a full complete game on VR and rely on the fact that that everybody is going to get it and, and going to get VR just to play this game. There's no way. Sure. Um, and that's why I think this is kind of like how uh, the, the next episode was of Half-Life 2 when that came out. Um, I, I feel like this is maybe a, a prequel or like a preamble to right. a larger game that's going to come out, which that's probably what they're doing. They're biding their time because, as you know, PlayStation 5 and, and the newer consoles are on the verge of coming out. I don't know when. I think it's either next year or 2021, but they'll, they'll probably come out with a massive new Half-Life 3 game. And then it will be ported to PC, and, and that's what they're going to do. But for the time being, they're probably doing this just to drum up interest again, um, right. not to take any any way you know anything away from the story because I'm sure it'll be amazing. But I, I'm betting it's just going to be like a prequel that'll lead up into a larger thing, kind of like a, a Metal Gear Solid Ground Zeroes kind of thing. Exactly. You know, just yeah, okay, uh, I get it. Okay, that's fine. I'll be I'll be interested in it at the very least watching watching people's crazy ass playthroughs and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be a, like probably the easiest way to experience it, so you don't miss anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Speaking of things that have sequels that came a million years later, uh, let's talk about Tron. Yeah, let's do it. Let's. let's uh, I you know recently got my Disney Plus subscription, and I've been enjoying The Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and. Uh, 
lo and behold, I'm reading more and more about things that are getting resurrected by Disney because what do you know, they need more than just, you know, Nat Geo and, and Marvel and that kind of stuff to kind of flush out their, their very large catalog. But I mean, it's very, it's very difficult to have to come up with a completely new uh, intellectual property, like on the fly, especially one that's been, you know, baked in nostalgia for this long and that kind of thing. So uh, they came out and they said that Tron is looking at getting another reboot. Um, That is interesting to me, except for the fact that it's expensive as balls to make. So I don't know how you make a serialized version of Tron unless you do a fully CGI thing. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. So I think that if I had to guess, and I love Tron. Like when I was when I was a little kid, you know, I, I we had the like DVD. Oh yeah, of of Tron, and like when I was sick, you know, I would watch I would watch like the original Tron or whatever, you know, or we had like a VHS recording of it or whatever. But it doesn't matter. I was I was always a big fan of it, even though it was such a weird ass concept and like it was very like weirdly acted and and everything. Um, apparently, just side note, when the Academy was looking at handing out awards for visual effects and things like that, they passed over Tron the original because they thought that using computers was cheating. Hmm. So it was it was a big deal when it first came out. And in the sequel, Tron Legacy, actually, I enjoyed that film. And and I enjoyed the soundtrack by Daft Punk. And I thought it was, at the very least, a great homage to the original while not making it so damn cheesy that you couldn't watch it. Yeah. Um, They clearly spent a crap ton of money on that film. I think that was something like just under 200 million for a budget. And it only brought in, I think, 400 or so. The uh, the problem with those kinds of movies, obviously, is that if you if your budget's that high and your and you with the money that you bring in is that low, it's very difficult to actually greenlight another sequel for that thing. So we're kind of left with a little bit of cliffhanger action, that kind of deal. Um. Oh man, I I see it becoming more of like a serialized thing that's not super you know, live action or anything like that. I think it's probably going to be more cartoony mm-hmm. moving forward. So uh, do you have any, I mean, do you remember anything from Tron? Do you, is this something that would even bring you in? Like, would you even give it a shot again? Well, you know, yeah, I, I grew up watching the original, um, which of course was uh, played by the guy that was the dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and the original was, was great. And of course the, the, <laughs> The graphics back in the day was pretty insane to watch now. Um, even right. I, rem- I think the last time I saw the original was probably like, uh, probably ten to fifteen years ago, and uh, you know it's it's an interesting concept. And and of course, as the world is now revolved even more around technology, you know maybe it doesn't have to necessarily only be in a computer. You can now have it in a smartphone. I mean, there there. The, the possibilities are endless when it comes to Tron, and you can really expand that universe. Sure. Um, and I, I feel like that's probably what they'll do is expand it. I feel like Tron Legacy definitely did that quite a bit. 
um, and played with the rules of the system and, and all that stuff. Um, there's something you can actually sink your teeth into now with yeah. Tom Legacy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it kind of makes sense because if Disney's doing this, they're going to serialize it and it's going to be a Disney plus exclusive show. Um, you know, kind of the same thing with Mandalorian, you're expanding the universe of star Wars, right? So they'd be doing the same thing, expanding that universe. Sure. And yeah, I don't know if they would do live action. It would require quite a bit, but you know, it's Disney. They have so much money. I mean, they bought out Fox. They, so I, they wouldn't have any problem doing, you know, um, it, now it probably wouldn't look as good as, you know, what it would on screen, like Tron legacy was, but yeah, I feel like there's something there, and why not? You know, go ahead and try it. Absolutely, I will. Uh, I will give it a shot, and I'm. I mean, my nostalgia is very high for this thing, so I. I think it's going to be, if if like anything else that Disney does, pretty well done. I'm just kind of curious as to how they're going to implement it moving forward. Right. But uh, we'll we'll get more information on it later. I mean, we'll have we'll have all the writer information and stuff like that. But uh, let's let's switch gears a little bit. Yeah, we're still in the Disney Plus world. What did you think about Mandalorian episode three? I thought it was awesome. Um, you know, I talked a little bit about episode two last week, and I didn't want to give spoilers, but everybody knows it now because the memes are everywhere. But freaking Baby Yoda, man, um, Baby Yoda, and that's what they're calling him. But at the same time, is it Yoda? Like, is this Yoda reincarnated? Or we is, don't know. is this a clone of Yoda? Or yeah. is it somehow his species was able to evolve and and reproduce? I don't know. So it, it'll be really interesting to see like the origins of Baby Yoda. But uh but yeah, that was an awesome last episode. But this episode it's like, yeah, you see uh you know, the Mandalorian, you, you see Mando as he's been nicknamed by Carl Weathers. Uh right. you know giving the baby Yoda back over to, um, you know, uh, Warner Herzog and, and those guys. And then all of a sudden he just, he, he gets this badass armor, which let's talk about that scene a little bit. Right. Yeah. So he gets all these credits, more Imperial credits than I think anybody's ever gotten in, in the last, you know, several years. And he goes to the, the armory shop, you know, it, it, it kind of the whole scene where they they go in there and it's it's all of the the bounty hunters from um you know the planet that they're from you know all these bounty hunters and it kind of reminded me of predator a little bit like you know right. it's all the predators getting together and they have like this code you know this hunter's code and so they're you know uh i just like that they they're constantly just talking to each other and they're like this is the way Right. Yep. This is the way. So at first they have a fight because the guy's like, oh, you're doing the bidding of evildoers. And then they fight a little bit. And it's almost like a brotherly fight. And, uh, you know, eventually he gets his badass armor. He wants to take the next mission, but something's eating away at him. And he's like, there's something about it. I've never seen anything like this before where it it froze that creature in midair and saved my life. Like, why would it do that? And it, it just he can't shake it. So he decides He's going to go in and break it out and retrieve it and save it from probably a possible death um, or termination. And so, yeah, he goes in there and probably one of the most like badass scenes that I've seen in a Star Wars project and absolutely forever outside of the video games happens. 
um, where he he busts in there and and uh, you see all of his gadgets and weapons. What makes him so so much of a badass and so much of the ultimate hunter or bounty hunter, if you will, um, to retrieve it. But uh, but yeah, if you want to talk about the rest of the episode, yeah, no, that was uh, that was huge. The the ass kickery that happened in him going for Baby Yoda and and saving him and everything and, and getting out of there. Well, like from that point on, once once you see what he's capable of, uh, it's even it's even weirder because uh you realize what kind of what everybody else is capable of as well to kind of put pressure on him. Yeah. They, you have an entire there's a street fight. Right. Like, so you, it, I mean, let me know if I'm missing anything here, but like the big thing is, is his, uh, his escape, right. With, with the child and all of that and getting, getting out of there and trying to, to leave the planet and, and take this baby Yoda with him. Uh, you know, grief, Carl Weathers brings all the bounty hunters, they all, they all get the same call at the same time. And it's basically like, get this kid. Right. And it's a pretty powerful scene because everybody's just dicking around in a cantina and, uh, and all of a sudden their communicators go off. Right. And it's, everybody kind of looks at you like, Oh shit, like it's on now. And it, it turns into like this massive battle in the streets. And, uh, Mando's trying to get the hell out of there. He's engaged in fighting a bunch of people. And it's enough It's enough to give you the feeling that there are overwhelming odds, right? Even though he's technologically got all kinds of stuff on, on his side, it still has its own limitations, mm-hmm. you know, as technology does. Um, you know, his flamethrower runs out, you know, his... Uh, he's running out of ammunition with like his disruptor thing and uh and he's kind of pinned behind a speeder kind of deal and all of a sudden out of nowhere come all the freaking mandalorians that were hiding underground and they show up with their jetpacks on and bust those bitches up and it is definitely one of those kind of like i didn't see it coming Really, I mean, like I thought he was just gonna have to creatively get his way out of there, mm-hmm. but it's it's a fun way of showing how they're all committed to each other, kind of like you know in this fraternity. And I use that term loosely, but they have a yeah. Every every everyone shows up and basically exposes themselves when they've clearly only been you know out of hiding one at a time, being very very secret about their existence, that kind of deal. Um, which kind of tells you a lot, especially from the whole like Boba Fett kind of, you know, angle of things. Like, why don't you see a shit ton of those guys running around, right? Yeah. And uh, and so they all come to his rescue and help him get to his ship while they're fighting back all the bounty hunters. And and the whole the whole thing is, uh, you know, ends with basically him shooting grief, you know, in the chest. Mm-hmm. you know getting him getting him off his ship and everything is a get off my plane moment and uh and you know baby yoda and mando fly away and one of the most weird superfluous scenes i've seen in the star wars uh show or movie in a long time you get like one of the mandalorians like flying next to him with a bounty hunter or like jetpack mm-hmm. right 
and he kind of like gives him a salute and flies off and he just goes i gotta get me one of those you know yeah. like that kind of thing <laughs> and I, I thought that was, it was kind of funny because i guess it's an interesting way to foreshadow like they he still isn't he still doesn't have all the gadgets yeah, at his disposal yeah. and instead of being like where's my jetpack or some shit like that like because exposition just isn't done in this show which which makes it very western in a way mm-hmm. you know nobody walks up to you and goes it appears you don't have a jetpack i need a jetpack how much is a jetpack that kind of thing so they they basically uh they they kind of put that in there as a as a funny little end to the episode and everything and i thought it was kind of funny but it was also kind of weird like it just it seemed like it was kind of tacked on at the end um like a very strange moment of levity after after all the serious fighting and everything but so be it you know i i I enjoyed it it was a great episode a great twist it showed a crisis of conscience that you're not supposed to be able to see and that kind of thing um you also get the impression uh or like you like to do the entire time right you've seen the emotions in his you know his mannerisms the music and everything like that they really crush it yeah they they really do and the music definitely got better on this episode um that was one gripe that i had but um yeah, I just I like the the bigger bounty hunter guy, and all of a sudden he, they when they fly in there, like as soon as he's pinned down, it, it's kind of like you don't know how he's going to get get out of uh, that situation. And the thing is, he's very resourceful, the the Mandalorian, and so um, you know how he tries to intimidate them. Now that he's surrounded, all of a sudden he pulls out. I, I don't even know what to call it. I just call it the boomstick. You know, it's like it's almost yeah. like his sniper rifle. And it's almost like a 50 cal, you know, laser type thing. So as soon as he blasts somebody, they just vaporize, you know. Right. And uh, that was that intimidated a lot of them. And so, you know, eventually they start closing in because someone comes in from uh, that flanks them from behind and everything. And and they're all starting to close in. He's just looking at Baby Yoda. And all of a sudden, like all those bounty hunters start flying in on jetpack and start shooting people. But that bigger one coming down and he busts out the big like chain gun yeah laser gun i was like oh yeah this is this is awesome yeah that got serious real fast and then the the thing is oh you're gonna have to relocate you know because because they've exposed themselves kind and, of thing. yeah and then he was like he was like why you don't have to help me he goes this is the way yeah that was all he had to say <laughs> i'm so, like okay know. this is okay uh, this is badass yeah yeah it's all it's all awesome like the whole freaking show is awesome if you uh since we've ruined it for everybody already um just start watching it. Just watch it. It's worth watching in its own right. Like even if you listen to all of this and you're like, "Wow, thanks for the spoilers, assholes." <laughs> you need to go. You need to go see it because stylistically, it's the most fun Star Wars we've had in probably over a decade. Yep. Well, so I'll definitely put in the description that we do a spoiler review of Episode Three of The Mandalorian. So. You've been warned, listeners. Um, oh no! Don't don't do that. Make sure everybody rage quits this episode. <laughs> yeah, including J Mac. Yeah, including J Mac. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be the first watching. time he rage quit something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, of all the of all the shit that we give him, and and, and the idea of rage quitting, like he uh, he stuck out that rental car line pretty well. Oh God, did he? That was yeah. That was... Yeah, and Sam Bino walking all the way to. Uh, man, that Just was to get beer. That was that was fun times. Yeah, that was good. So, uh, anyway, yes, go see go see Mandalorian. Um, 
also streaming pretty soon, we don't even mention it at all, mm-hmm. is uh, The Irishman. That's so right, The Irishman. Coming pretty soon. So uh, we'll, Wednesday of this week, I believe, the 27th. Yeah. Won't uh, too long on that, but I think it's going to be exciting. I'm definitely going to be watching it here at the house. I already talked about it with uh, with Dan. Uh, we're going to watch it in the theater room, so it's going to be done right. Yeah, you have to do it right. It's That's going to be a great show. It's going to be a great movie. Absolutely. Uh, uh, let's talk movie news. Let's talk let's, uh, let's talk things that that we don't know anything about, but we like to pretend we do. Yeah. Fede Alvarez is coming out with his White House version of The Shining. Um, that's at least what it's been referred to so far because it doesn't have a title and it is kind of amorphous at this point. But they're doing it with Legendary, right? Like that's yep. the that's the idea. So that's great. I mean, Legendary's got a, a lot of money and they they pump out some pretty some pretty good horror movies. Oh right? yeah. So what a You've seen some stuff that Fide Alvarez has done. So is there something that stands out to you from his movies that would make you think that he's the right choice for this? Uh, well, I did see his uh, his direction in Don't Breathe. Uh, so that right. was that was the film where people, the this group of kids, well, I say kids, but 20-somethings, sneak into a house and, you know, I... I'm trying to remember the premise. I think they're trying to rob this dude because he's he's blind. But you come to find out he's like he he was a badass in the military and stuff. And yeah, he is blind, but he knows his way around the house. He has this intricate system. But the way that you know, I won't get too much into the story. But the the way that it was directed and everything was was done really well. Um, the angles, you know, from everything I want from in, intense, uh, uh, frantic type of film, it it wasn't one that got too close and I just felt like the direction was done expertly on that film. So going into this, seeing like a white house, uh, shining type of movie where something, you know, some horror type of, of thing happens like a twilight zone type thing in, in the white house and people are trapped and having to deal with, uh, some sort of monstrosity that is haunting everybody or, or hunting everyone. Uh, yeah, I could, I could see him doing this perfectly and yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what this is going to be about, who's going to be in it. Um, I feel like Dothan Breathe garnered a lot of attention when it came out and a lot of really positive reviews right. to where I think he's going to attract like a really stellar cast on this. If you, uh, if, if you were to say that he did a good job on Don't Breathe, do you think that he actually ha- does suspense well, I mean, you have to to be able to produce a movie that even is in the running with things like The Shining. Yeah, uh, for sure. And kind of to, uh, you know, juxtapose this to the career of Mike Flanagan, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, you know, Flanagan did a really good job on some of his original films like Hush and, and a few others that were Netflix originals. And then you got Haunting a Hill House, and then you find out, Oh, he's he's a major Stephen King nerd. Like he he yeah. knows all the books inside and out. So you know, doing his version, you know, and directing Doctor Sleep, you know, directing, writing, editing, uh, it's kind of the same thing. You know, he knows how to get uh, sort of this frenetic energy into things, uh, and and everything is is just fluid and cohesive. Again, I haven't seen as much with Fide Alvarez, but I feel like uh, 
those two are, are definitely in inside the same wheelhouse. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I feel like this guy would be perfect for her and, and would probably rise to occasion of like a shining like thing. That's good. Uh, I, I, I'm worried, uh, but I shouldn't be. Um, and this is just me taking context clues. Fede Alvarez's uh, production house is called Bad Ombre Films, which is a fun name, okay? But, I mean, there are some political connections to that phrase. And, and while I'm all for a smartly done and understated thriller that takes place in the White House, uh, I'm, I really would appreciate it from a uh, from a viewership standpoint if it wasn't handled in the way that say like um, like a White House down oh or yeah something was Where it gets you, so you, over the top yeah it's it's like super over the top and like if they've got a political statement to make they like take your nose and they rub it in it mm-hmm. and it's just kind of like okay man like we get it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, right. it's it's fine. It's fine to have. It's fine to have opinions. Obviously, we have plenty of them, right? Yeah, and it's it is fine to have political leanings. The whole world does, but when you talk about the way that uh, people appreciate art and cinema and things like that, I think the best examples of films are the ones that are about politics that people don't even realize they're about politics mm-hmm. until the end or the the movies that you don't you don't know about the subtext of it going into it and afterwards you can have a discussion about it and be like oh i think this was about this you know that kind of thing it's the same way a good novel reads right yeah. like after yeah. the fact you go i think this was a movie or this was a book about you know, the Vietnam War or something like that without having to go and say, like, read a critic's opinion of it up front and being like, this was a treatise on the Vietnam War, that kind of thing. Right. So I I like movies that are sending a message without resulting to really, like, ham-handed, like, just brutish ways of delivering it right and that's not to say that it's not for everybody but it just seems clumsy to me sometimes yeah. when you try to bake in opinions and try to basically be like this is where i stand obviously let me just run this down your throat if if fide alvarez is a skilled director like i know he is from the movies you've discussed so far the i would be very curious as to see how he treats current political climate with a movie like a shining in the white house. So I hope that it's, it's smartly done. I hope that it's, it's a little bit more cerebral. Right. And, and because, I mean, it sounds like his suspenseful movie making is up to par. Right. And it's frantic and it's shitty. And and I don't want this to be like a stain on his movie making career because he's got, you know, a chip on his shoulder kind of thing. Like it, it doesn't need to happen that way. Yeah, that's an interesting point because I didn't think about I you know, I thought about the White House, but I didn't think about the confines of like the political overview and and of course everything that's going on right now, but 
but even if things weren't going on right now, it's it it would be it could be politically charged, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they could. But at the same time, like the only thing I can think of, you know, yeah, White House Down comes to mind, and, and those movies, Angel Has Fallen or whatever. Right. Um. But uh, the the thing that kind of uh, for whatever reason entered my mind was the last time I could think of where people were trapped in the White House and something crazy was going on was uh 24 season seven or season yeah. eight uh one of those I think, two I, I think it was uh i think it was eight anyway, yeah it was i think eight. i know what you're talking about yeah we're basically like this militant group well from another country like uh kind of find some sort of like old sewer line and they they bust their way in and go in from underneath and take over the white house and of course uh jack bowers in there and and you know it's like they want to kill the president on live TV who happens to be a female. And so I remember that whole thing, but it wasn't really politically charged. It was more of like, it was more kind of like air force one, you know, it was just like yeah. all, all that mattered was just getting rid of the, the enemies and uh, diffusing the situation. So if it's something like that, uh, I think it would work, but yeah, you're right. It, it could be, it could get a little too, much on the nose in terms of uh, politics, and yeah, that would take me out of the movie all altogether as well. Yeah, if you have if you have the if you have a good writer, you know, and and you have this concept of the shining in the White House kind of thing, um, you can you can do a very cool suspenseful movie that either is just happens to be set in the White House, or you can have opinions and want to share with everybody. But do it in a way that is not. Uh, you don't have to tie everything together with like, like I said, always oh, the over exposition of like stuff at the very beginning. You know, like a, a newscast or something that's like, this is what's happening right now, and then cutting to like, here's all the things that happen in the White House because of that. Right, like spirits yeah. of something that you know I don't like become evil or something anyway i think there's a lot of ways to do it but my my bottom line is you don't politics are fine opinions great don't don't take my, my nose and rub it in it you know when i'm trying to be in a suspenseful movie that is you know got me every step of the way you know it'll it will take me out of it like yeah. you said yeah not worth it um what else is going on? What other what other new movies do we have down the pipeline? Well, uh, it's been announced that Star Trek Four is back on track. Um, you know, we we had the third one, which I actually didn't mind. I, I like the third one quite a bit. Uh, but there's been a whole lot of stuff going on in terms of like, you know, are they going to get? Um, I believe it was Chris Hemsworth in there to, you know, somehow reprise his role as the father. And they're going right. to go more into that story. Cause I felt like the, the first film kind of went into it a little bit, but then all of a sudden, like starting with the second one, it was all about Spock and yeah. rightfully so, because I, I feel like Leonard Nimoy definitely needed to have a nice send off. And that was, that was the, it was just perfect timing in terms of getting him to commit and all that before he of course passed away. Um, but I, I feel like a fourth one, see, that's, that's the thing. It's like, is it needed? Um, if they come up with a great story for another three movies that can kind of like tie the connected tissue together, I feel like then sure, why not? But it all depends on who you're going to get to write it and who you're going to get to direct it. Um, 
and if you get the original cast return because I've seen that before where all of a sudden this cast member and this cast mem- uh, member have been replaced. That can kind of take you out of it, but sometimes it doesn't, kind of like the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, Obviously, of- we won't have Anton Yelkin coming back. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh yeah, uh, unfortunately, you know, with him passing away, um, sadly. But, yeah, so it's been announced that um, first it was rumored, but now it's confirmed that Noah Hawley uh, has in the final stages to do the writing and directing and that the original cast is set to return. So I'm very familiar with Noah's work, um, obviously, with Legion, right. um, which was excellent show, and you didn't know where it was going. Um, he did a lot of original things in that, uh, including in the directorial style, but especially in the writing. So I'm a big fan of that, as well as stuff that he did with uh, Fargo. With the Fargo TV series was amazing. Uh, I believe he's the one who did Fargo, correct? Uh, he, yeah, he did. Yeah. And, and the, that dude knows how to direct. I really appreciate that he doesn't – he doesn't – I mean, he – okay, let me put this way. He has a style, but – he, it's not rigid to him. He's not afraid of trying new things. Right. Right. And and the stuff that is like in the fundamentals of directing, he does very well. So I'm not afraid of him to get another big budget project because I know the fundamentals are solid and what he does with it can be creative, but not just for creativeness sake. Mm-hmm. Right. He's not going to come up with a, a really unique camera angle because he's been thinking about it for a year, right? He's going to do it because it works well with that shot. Yeah, he's not going to throw in a bunch of lens flares just for the hell of it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a shot across the bow of J.J. Abrams for oh, those yeah. of you guys who did not know. Yep. But uh, but yeah, and, and for the record, it that kind of that kind of thing lends itself to some shots but jj abrams decides to like like other directors sometimes ram a style mm-hmm. down your throat um noah hawley his not his directing style do not confuse that with what i'm about to say but his uh his at his handle on the basics of directing uh is i think spielbergian yeah i agree way. Um, now completely different styles of directing in the stuff that he's done. Uh, but you can, and, and there's nothing really that tells you, ah, this is a Noah Hawley movie, or this is a Noah Hawley TV series. Mm-hmm. But everything that I've seen him do captures the fundamentals in a way that lets you know that he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And, and he'll play he'll, like Legion, especially, he plays with storytelling in a way that's so fresh and so interesting that if you guys haven't seen Legion, it's not for everybody. It is, it is absolutely it's shot in a way that is unique in the way that it makes you feel like you're insane while you're watching it. And that's kind of the point, right? The, the whole thing of the schizophrenic, you know, filmmaking and that kind of thing, it will be shot in a way you're like, was that just there? You know, like what happened? Like, did something move? That kind of deal, and it's uh, it's not done in an annoying way. It's done in a way that actually really furthers the storytelling. So, I think this guy's got a gift. Um, I'm excited about Star Trek being back 
in the cinematic world. And I also think that I made, I really felt like I was the only one. Like me and Mountain Girlfriend, I honestly, when I read this to her, she was like, yes, like I really, mm-hmm. I'm really excited. Uh, and she's not a Star Trek nerd. Yeah. Like I am. Like I've, I've seen all of it, right? Like every single one, even the ones that suck, I've seen all of it. The only one I haven't seen so far is Star Trek Discovery because CBS All Access can eat my ass. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched any of that either. Yeah, and, and they have some of my favorite actors Yeah, in, in Discovery, and I still won't watch it because you're trying to get me to sign up for one more thing, mm-hmm. and the only thing you have to offer me are like Friends reruns and a new Star Trek movie. Yeah. But like, if you if you were to tell me that the only thing that was on Disney Plus was the Mandalorian, and that was it, obviously we've made a very compelling reason for why you would want to get Disney Plus because of the Mandalorian. But it's very difficult for me to sign up for something where that's it. Right. And and that is like and they're gonna CBS All Access is gonna come out with you know Picard and that kind of stuff and that looks very cool and I'm very happy about that. But it seems like a very shitty business model. Yeah, this entire time I've never been a big fan of that. Um, so there's so much to sink your teeth into on Disney Plus right now. Uh, my big gripe with the CBS All Access thing is that they were like, "We're going to bring Star Trek back to TV, but we don't think it can stand on its own in a prime time slot, and we need people to be driven to our brand new streaming platform. Mm-hmm. So let's do nothing that's going to get people to watch." this except for like i don't know like chuck lorry sitcoms and friends or something and then we're going to dump in like one of our most beloved franchises and make you pay extra to watch it and and that i don't know that just seems like the opposite of a fan service to me and it pisses me off so whatever uh back to actual stuff Yes, Noah Hawley capable, Star Trek 4, I'm very excited for. I think that everybody has done a very good job, except for the Into Darkness thing, where I think they kind of missed the boat on that. Mm-hmm. But uh, but the the first one and beyond, I, I really enjoyed. And I enjoyed those for reasons that I enjoy Star Trek, not because of reasons I necessarily just enjoy movies, right? Like the Beyond storyline was a quintessentially star trek movie like it's as a very star trek type of movie yeah where uh, i wouldn't be surprised if in the fifth star trek um we're in a situation where we have uh you know the enterprise versus like some kind of celestial body or something you know like that kind of thing that's that's again like a very quintessentially star trek thing to do mm-hmm but uh, I think I think we'll, we'll we got very close to what the guts of Star Trek are, and and I think that we we are really we are back on track now, as far as the way these movies need to be made. I won't even touch on the Tarantino version of Star Trek that's supposed to be coming out at some point. Um, I don't know how he's ever going to do that, but that's fine. But uh, yeah, no, I'm I I love the series in general. Um, I love all the movies. I love the TV shows. Um, Star Trek motion picture was maybe one of those like gouge my eyes out. I'm so tired of this movie already movies I've ever seen. But uh, but even with all the misses that Star Trek has had, I, I'm still in love with the franchise. So it'll be fun to watch. Um, 
something else that got announced mm-hmm. that I'm very excited about, which is also very hit or miss, is John Turturro. Um, if you've seen John Turturro in nothing but the Transformers films, uh, you will kill yourself after I read this <laughs> next thing. But if you've actually seen John Turturro in real movies, um, like actual cinema, you will be excited about what I'm about to tell you. Uh, John Turturro has been cast in the Batman as Carmine Falcone. And uh, that's one of the most famous, you know, mob bosses in all of Gotham. He's always been kind of the, uh, you know, the the quintessential um, boilerplate, like Italian mob boss, you know, kind of archetype that you would see in in a Batman universe. Am I getting that right? I mean, am, am I on that? Yeah, you're correct. Uh, I'll fill in some more, like, historical stuff uh, in a bit but yeah you're you're right on point okay so the whole idea with with uh, john Turturro being cast is that for those who don't know john Turturro can actually act his ass off he's been in some really really important movies big lebowski um, yeah big lebowski for one obviously but even that was almost cartoonish yeah. in a way <laughs> you know and it but he's he's been in um uh, i'm trying to remember like some some of the like uh Coen Brothers, like a Coen Brothers movie, and that right. Kind of uh, like, oh, brother, where art thou? Right. Uh, that and then one even before that. Um, I'll I'll figure it out later. The bottom line is, uh, I think it was uh, Barton Fink. Yeah, that was probably it. But the uh, the bottom line is, John Turturro can act. Um, he is uh, a thoughtful actor when he has a good role to sink his teeth into. And I think that this whole like turn in comedy and stuff like that, it may be something that's something he likes to do, mm-hmm. right? It's like a fun thing for him, yeah. but it's it's not. He's being wasted, in in a lot of the shit that well, he's been in. Kind of like Ray Romano, right? How many Ice Age movies can you do, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point, but yeah, and 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 we're not saying anything boilerplate about uh italian actors right now let's make that clear right <laughs> but, right yeah the uh that john Turturro, uh ray romano there are other actors out there that are completely wasted um and i feel like this might actually be a with with the gravity that we've seen in the people that are being brought on the tonality of this movie uh that's about to be made uh it gives me really good hope that if he actually is in the movie for more than five minutes, right. That that it will be a really good role for him. So what else do I need to know about Carmine Falcone? So Carmine Falcone, you know, the, the, the Falcone family is actually pretty extensive. It's, it's a very large family. Um, the graphic novel of Batman that you learn the most about uh, Carmine is actually in The Long Halloween, which it is rumored and, and it appears even with this casting choice that that is probably what the, the road that Matt Reeves is going down is that, you know, it's been rumored that uh, Long Halloween is probably what this is going to be based in. I would bet money that that's exactly what this is. Uh, I'm yeah. hoping that they do the Long Halloween story, and I feel like they are with the gambit of villains that they're casting and stuff. And, of course, that's a valid concern when people are like, oh, I think there's too many villains and it's going to get chaotic. But at the same time, in the same sense of the way that The Mandalorian is directed, 
uh, you know, the Mandalorian, basically it's, it's told from his perspective. There is no meanwhile over here and, and you're watching characters talk that you really don't care about and you want to get back to the Mandalorian. It all follows the Mandalorian. So that's how the perspective is going to be on the Batman is that right. you're with the Batman the entire time and you're with mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne the entire time. There is no, you know, going back and forth and, um, ancillary characters and all that. So with that, you know, it makes sense to have the rogues gallery in there where you're tracking them down. But anyways, uh, you know, getting back to Carmine Falcone in, uh, the long Halloween, you, you start to realize that at the beginning, you know, this is where, um, Bruce Wayne is, is he, he's still like forming a friendship with Harvey Dent, uh, both as Bruce Wayne and as Batman and gaining his trust. And you have the, uh, so-called triumvirate in that you have, on the rooftop, and we saw this in the Dark Knight, um, and I geeked out over it. But you have Gordon, you have uh, Harvey Dent, which is the District Attorney of Gotham, who's you know very cavalier and all that stuff, and then you have Batman, and they're all coming together trying to come up with a game plan. And so in the Long Halloween, it's all about a uh, basically a series of uh, people being murdered, and it's like a serial killer. And trying to figure out, you know, every time there's a murder, it, it happens to coincide with a holiday or an important date on the calendar. Um, so, you know, through that, you start to see that the Waynes have had a history with the Falcone family going back to like even Thomas Wayne. Because um, Thomas Wayne was a major power, but did not want to join Carmine in certain things because he knew of his criminal dealings and his, uh, his empire and all that stuff. And so you see Bruce Wayne in the beginning in a meeting talking to Carmine Falcone and the whole thing was really interesting because you start to realize like how big his family is and how much power he has and control of, of Gotham. So, uh, you know, you see the character of Carmine Falcone played by, um, uh, I can't remember his name. Um, I think his first name was Tom, but, uh, not, not Hiddleston. I can't remember his name. But I know, I know you're yeah, about. excellent yeah. actor in, in Batman Begins, and um, I thought he did a really good job playing like an older Carmine Falcone. But since this is Batman and and where he's probably in his second or third year of his career, I could see where Carmine's probably a little bit younger. So getting John Tortoro to to play him, and if he has the pencil mustache that I'm hoping that he has, because that's what Carmine looks like inside the comics. Um, I think this will be a I think this is a perfect casting choice and this guy really does bring some depth so hopefully you, you know listeners you've seen some films that John Turturro's been in other than Transformers and even even more so than um, Big Lebowski but you know the guy can really act and you know kind of the same thing that we're about to see with the Irishman Ray Romano is actually in the Irishman and I hear he has a really really you know, big acting role to fulfill and does a really good job in it. So we'll see that this week. But yeah, I feel like as far as casting goes, I, I think this will be perfectly fine. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table and, and how he comes across. Because Carmine Falcone is known to not shy away from having his goons go and break someone's ankles or, or, or feed them to the fishes or whatever. So uh, I think this will be a, a good, a good uh, role for him. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the name you were searching for was Tom Wilkinson. Tom Wilkinson, so you okay. Were, you were at a 50% on yeah. that one. <laughs> um, so uh, speaking of, of Batman news, uh, tangentially, we have to speak of the Joker. Yep. If, if not one last time, uh, 
we need to talk about sequels because obviously when a movie does this well across uh, a billion dollars worldwide across a billion dollars best selling r-rated movie mm-hmm. to date do uh wouldn't you think any production house would have their finger on the trigger for a sequel for something like this. Oh yeah. I mean, as soon as something hits a billion, um, it's, it's going to get a sequel now, how long it takes. I mean, you look at avatar, for example, (laughs) uh, it it could take a while, but is it necessary? That's kind of the thing. And it always comes down to the people that do it, you know, like Christopher Nolan and, you know, the way that they did Batman begins, they didn't know, like, like I'm sure Chris and, and Jonathan Nolan, who who wrote it along with David S. Goyer, uh, kind of ended it with sort of a wink and a nudge, nudge that here's the Joker's card. He's going to look into it. And he flies off the rooftop, and it's like, okay, we hope we get a sequel. And of course, it does really well at the box office to where WB's like, okay, we'll greenlight it. We'll we'll let you continue doing what you want. So, um, you know, Christian Bale was actually in an interview he did recently. Um, regarding Ford versus Ferrari, and they asked him about, of course, Robert Pattinson in his time as Batman, and they were like, you know, how did you know, you know, like to to do the the sequels and stuff? Why didn't you guys do a fourth one and stuff? And he's like, you know, we just made each film like it was gonna be it. Like this is we're gonna make the best product we can make. We're not gonna worry about the future, and if we do get one, great. That's just gravy on top. And of course, it all worked out. Um, right. So, I, you know, I feel like with this, it's kind of the same thing where you have like somebody with a very original idea, um, directing and writing and, uh, you know, everything's expertly acted. I mean, Joaquin Phoenix just crushed it. But at the same time, is a sequel needed? And I don't know, because at the same time, when this movie was first announced, I was one of the naysayers was like, no, you're not supposed to know Joker's origin and all this stuff. Right. And then when I saw, I'm like, wait, Todd Phillips is directing it? The guy who directed Hangover? And hmm. And then uh, Joaquin Phoenix set the star. I'm like, well, now I'm on board because I knew. We got, we got to check this out, yeah. Yeah, because Joaquin's just, I mean, you see his range. He's he's like the the other Daniel Day-Lewis of our time, you know. Um, so it's, uh, they they basically proved me wrong and I, and I have total trust so if if Todd Phillips decides to write a sequel then great but i've heard some rumors out there though and i'm sure you read about it too where they're playing with the idea of maybe the sequel isn't really a direct sequel to the joker but it will tie into another sort of like dc character's origin or something of that nature right yeah um, and i thought that was kind of an interesting take so yeah let just give him the keys at this point, yeah, I mean, it's not, I think it's not like it. he puts out a bad, bad product. I mean, and if they want to green light anything, I mean, I would just say, who cares? Just let him do whatever he wants at this point. It seems like he can't, he can't not make money. Yeah. So that's, that's fine. And, and obviously that's not the only point. I mean, he makes damn good movies too. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Um, no, but I thought that was really interesting. I would, I would definitely think that you would want a, a sequel to be done, but in a movie that is really non-traditional, you know, in, in the way that it is put together and, and directed and acted and everything, it's very singular vision mm-hmm. that he had. Um, 
if there is what I would call a sequel, I would expect it to be the sequel that only the Joker could have. Yeah, the the problem with it too is like, you know, and I've gotten into a, a few arguments with some friends of mine who've seen the movie and they obviously, and I'm sure by now most of our listeners have, have you know, seen it, but if you haven't, uh, just try to fast forward from here. But um, yeah, it, the you get to the ending of it and of course you got those people of, well, maybe it was all in his head or, you know, I don't think that's right. the case. But but the case is that, you know, some people are saying, well, they don't believe that he was the Joker based on his age. And then you see Bruce Wayne. So it's like, yeah, you got a little bit of that. But, you know, again, at the same time, how old is he supposed to be character wise? You know, like right. if he's still living with his mother, it, it, there's just a lot of things there. But so, you know, overall, like a, a lot of people, you know, maybe not a lot, but some people think that he's not the Joker, but he's the thing that inspires the real Joker. I, I just don't see it because the way that the that ending was and he turns and faces the crowd and everybody's into it and it's like the perfect symmetry and the planets align. There's no way that the planets are going to align twice for another person that people are going to get all behind while a movement right. is going on where everybody's dressed as clowns. Like, come on. Like, so yeah. he's clearly the Joker, you know, and Joaquin's even come out and said it. And I think the director has somewhat said it, but the way that the director did the movie was of course, to make you think, you know, kind of like an in inception. Was he still asleep? Was he dreaming that's, or was that reality? I was, li- I was literally going to draw that exact same yeah. parallel. So yeah. it'd be like if they were, if, Chris Nolan came out and was like, okay, we're going to make a sequel to uh, Inception and you get to see where Cobb, where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is, and then you will find out everything. And so, in a sense, that would kind of ruin it. But at the same time, I think the majority of us know that this is the Joker. But, uh, you know, it would probably explain a lot of the gaps from the movie of what was real and what wasn't. Because you get to see, like, you know, he goes off his meds and certain things you think is happening isn't happening. So, uh, that'll be interesting, but they, um, you know, they did say that it's not going to be about Batman at all because that's Matt Reeves's thing. You know, he's doing the Batman. We don't need, you know, an origin of seeing like Bruce in his teenage years or anything like that, you know, coming of age tale or something. Yeah. You want that? Go watch the series Gotham, you know? Exactly. (laughs) So yeah, Uh, it'll be interesting. Everybody, uh, everybody stay tuned here for all of the future comparisons to Avatar and Joker. So that will be, I think that next episode, that's all we should do is compare Joker and Avatar and Avatar sequels. Yeah. Okay. Also, no, I'm just kidding. Please don't let's, <laughs> let's never do that. I, uh, yeah, Mountain Girlfriend actually enjoyed Avatar and I'm still trying to wrap my head around that one, but yeah, that was, that was interesting. I, God, I, uh. I'm a very anti-avatar yeah. uh, person, but that's, I will save that for later. Um, I will, I will say, speaking of, of movies that shouldn't be made, we have a, a really interesting tidbit that dropped recently about a movie that had Julia Roberts playing Harriet Tubman. Yeah. Is that, is that maybe one of the most, confusing things you've heard in Hollywood for a long time. It takes, you need to explain though, the time period when this was actually pitched. It it explains a lot, right? It does. Yeah. Cause when I, I first read this sort of like headline and everybody's talking about it and I think it was on CNN and all that stuff. 
And uh, I was like, Julia Roberts is Harriet Tubman. What the hell? So, of course, you know, the film Harriet is coming out. Um, I've seen a, tr- a few trailers for it in recent films I saw in theater, and it looks really good. You know, like uh, the actress they have playing Harriet Tubman looks like her, um, yeah. you know, and, and everything looks very believable and historical and, and factual. Um, and so when I saw this headline, I was like, what in the hell? Like, there's no way that this is this is real. And so so I read into it. And it's like, no, like somehow, like, you know, Hollywood execs back in the day in the 90s would say some crazy stuff. I mean, including including like probably Weinstein back in the day. Right. So uh, some Hollywood exec was like, you know, the the first script came for Harriet Tubman back then. And, uh, you know, they were trying to develop something. And uh, this guy basically pitched the idea of like. Well, uh, yeah, let's get Julia Roberts to do it because at the time Julia Roberts was fire. I mean, you you coming out of the eighties, uh, going into the nineties. I mean, she if you got her in anything, people would just flock to go see it. Uh, right. And so she equaled kind of like Tom Cruise at the time. You know, it was like box office just smash success based on just whose face is on the poster for the you know. So. <laughs> I don't know how they would have done it, and it would have been ridiculous, but it was immediately like discarded, like no, that that's not going to make sense, and we're going to get backlash, and that's even in the '90s, you know, yeah. you would get backlash or something like that. Uh, Give it the Tropic Thunder treatment. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. you know, it, it worked for Tropic Thunder because it was a parody, and of course, yeah, exactly. Everybody Obviously, likes way, you know Robert totally Jr. completely different, yeah. But you know, for something like this, it's it's just you definitely see the sense of the times and how finally if it's taken so long that they're like oh you know like african americans and you know like denzel washington and and as as time's gone on it's like yeah you don't need to whitewash things you can no, actually have much a very better representation film. these days yeah, it, yeah we don't need that yeah it's just well, ridiculous speak, speaking of things that were fire audible audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash SLM and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. And one of the things I wanted to do for that transition, but I thought better of it, was Mm -hmm. to say, do you know who's not playing Harriet Tubman? Who? Audible. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think that they would stick with us if I did that? I don't think so. (laughs) Yeah. Probably not. Yeah, I'm sure you can. uh... I'm sure there's something about Harriet Tubman on Audible, and you can probably find out more about I, her life I, and the great I, things she did. I would bet a, a large amount of money on that. Yeah. So, yes, Audible is fantastic, and we appreciate them. Um, also, we'll not be playing Harriet Tubman in the movie. Right. Uh, last thing, let's talk about this uh, Better Call Saul news before we sign off. I'm very curious about this. Uh-huh. And the order in which me the layman who who is not initiated in breaking bad culture mm-hmm. should watch the El Camino, yep. Better Call Saul, and Breaking Bad apparatus. What what order would you recommend having been engrossed in all these things? Uh well obviously you need to watch Breaking Bad first because you won't know what the hell's going on if you watch Better Call Saul or anything like that. Okay, and- so it's not on its it's not standing on its own. I mean, you need it. 
I will say you probably could watch Better Call Saul and be fine because it does introduce you to these characters that eventually you meet along the way in Breaking Bad anyways. Right. Um, And time-wise, I I guess it takes place five to ten years before the events of Breaking Bad. That's just my guesstimation. But but it has more of a uh, more gravity and more of an impact if you watch Breaking Bad first and then Better Call Saul uh, because the characters that you know you you kind of see where they go um and what happens to them uh seeing them come in and how they came into the whole woodwork of, of things i mean because better call saul is basically a prequel to how this guy uh, you know saul goodman is the name of this attorney but you find out he that's not his real name he's originally jimmy mcgill how does he transform into what we end up seeing in Breaking right. Bad? So, and then of course all the ancillary characters and some of the the rogue gallery of people that that come into play of that universe. It's real interesting. So, uh, so the payoff is if you watch Breaking Bad first because you're getting all the backstories of the people that you already came to love. Correct. Yeah. Right. Okay. Or let's just say it's a better version of what uh, Lucas tried to do with Star Wars and his uh, shitty prequel films. <laughs> I I don't I don't agree with that. I think the prequels are gold. I'm just kidding. It's yeah. awful. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, unless unless you are riveted by things like a trade federation, I think you can pretty much skip those. Um, or Darth yeah, Vader I, going no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's the yeah. Episode three is the only one worth watching. In, yeah. In all of those. Um, but yes, so Better Call Saul season five is premiering when? Uh, February twenty third. So I'll say this that you know, El, like after you watch Breaking Bad, you should watch El Camino because it's it basically you see Jesse Pinkman right after you know the the final episode of Breaking Bad, what happens to him and his journey and where he goes from there. Um, but Better Call Saul has been very entertaining in that it shows what what happens and everything's in color and everything um of the events that that happened for jimmy mcgill in his life and what what gets him into the transformation to uh saul goodman but at the same time the beginning is of these episodes is a very grainy film like black and white and mm-hmm. you see currently where Saul is and he has grown. He pretty much has a mountain Carl mustache, like to a T and he manages a Cinnabon and you see, he's living a different life with a different identity and stuff. And I won't say too much more, but you kind of see like, you know, he's, he's not himself and he's very depressed and he doesn't talk much because it's just his perspective and things happen. But it's it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with that because I feel like as the Better Call Saul storyline gets closer and closer towards the beginning of the Breaking Bad storyline, um, you know maybe with El Camino and how they did that, uh, they could introduce more things that could happen in present day Saul's life in black and white um, mm-hmm. that could continue that narrative on after we've caught up with the event. So I'm real interested to see what happens with this. Cause uh, you know, I, I feel like uh, Vince Gilligan did, he's done an amazing job with it. Uh, and seeing, you know, last season, season four, 
uh, seeing what, you know, Ermin Trout and all these guys are up to and, and how they get further and further into their storylines. Uh, man, I cannot wait for this. So, yeah, February 23rd, once that uh, comes out, and again with it uh, premiering on FX, uh, it's going to be one of those where I'm going to have to wait a week at a time to watch a new episode. Uh, kind of the same thing we're doing with Mandalorian and everything, so it won't be right. too different. But, yeah, I'll definitely give my take a little bit, but I'm not going to ruin anything for you. But, yeah, that's one of those shows you should definitely – I know we've talked about it many times, but – I cannot wait until you finally get to start watching Breaking Bad and we can talk about it. Yeah, damn it. Yes, agreed. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, uh, is there anything else uh, in the news or, or is that about it for today's episode? No, sir. I think that's wrapped it up. All right. Well, hey, it's been another fantastic time uh, here with you, Carl, and I uh, hope of our, all of you guys out there, our listeners, enjoyed it. Uh, we definitely enjoyed today's episode. Uh, come check us out again on any of your streaming services uh, to check out our next episode. Uh, follow us online at social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Sensibly Loud and Facebook, Sensibly Loud Media. Uh, but again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Sensibly Loud Radio. <laughs>